Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Tim Shorts joins me to discuss various points found in the Kobold's Guide to Monsters. It's a great resource, and I heartily recommend it. We'll also talk about great length about NPCs and various uses, and even talking about using like masterminds and master villains in, in your favorite game. The podcast did get re-recorded because somebody forgot to hit the record button. It is time to get rid Hello, Tim. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Uh, looks like we got t- uh, stuck into the uh, uh, time uh, loop here. and uh... I think we did. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It is. You know what? Technology is a wonderful thing, but boy, there's still opportunity. So what we're going to do, have you have you seen The Good Place? Actually, I have. Yeah, my, my wife uh, made me watch it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 what did you think? What did you think of it? Um, I, I liked it overall. I thought it was, I thought it was a fun show. I thought it was really, uh, just, I don't know. I was laughing and I usually don't laugh. I'm not much of a comedy, uh, TV show person, but I did enjoy that one. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So remember how they, in the, I think the second episode where they kept getting reset, like 837 times, wherever that number is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we're, yeah. we're on reset number, uh, Reset one, I guess. So. Reset one, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, at least we did talk about, but we're going to talk about again. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because after having talked about it, I can't remember uh-huh. now, like, it, it's hard to remember because I already feel like I've already talked about it. But if I've already <laughs> talked about it, then that means I haven't talked about it because I haven't talked about anything yet. So. Anyway, so anyway, okay. we're talking about Kobold's Guide <laughs> to Monsters, right? And uh, and again, um, I'll plead to the airwaves. Uh, I'm not getting paid or given any product by Kobold Press, but I'm not above any sort of uh, uh, of uh, gifting <laughs> or bribes. Bribes, yeah. <laughs> I'll be here shrill. I'll say whatever you want me to say. Just just give me product. And I will happily tell you what a wonderful <laughs> thing it is. Um, right. And if you give me money, I'll, I'll devote entire podcasts to, to honoring you. And uh, so anyway, just anybody there out there wants go. to throw large Take amounts of money. This, guys. Yeah. It's pure gold. <laughs> so, That's if he remembers to hit record. <laughs> it's, it's all dependent upon that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, $20. Uh, it is a... It is a fairly, uh, it's only, um, 110 pages. It's, it's essays by industry notables. Um, there is nothing in here that is overly, um, uh, it's just a lot of good, solid advice. Uh, there's probably a little unevenness in the, um, in the topics they cover. Sure. But they actually, That's... oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I I have the other guides, and it's it's pretty consistent with what you're saying too. You know, you got your uh, varying degrees of uh, content and and uh, lots of good, but overall, it's good. You know, definitely a worthwhile read. Yeah, and they do. Um, 
and they also just cover a lot of different types of aspects of it. So it's not necessarily just about monster creation. They also talk about using them, about detailing them. Also, also somebody just kind of even talking about, you know, what happens if you just want to be a person that, uh, you want to be a writer and how to publish them, you know, their different avenues and the pros and cons. Oh, that's interesting. So they got more of a fix, fiction slant to it too then, huh? Yeah, well, not so much that, but like, you know, you've got them like, you want to try putting them out yourself. What ways would you put them out? Are you going to try and sell them to, oh, I see. to yeah. you know, see if, you know, you want to sell it to Paizo or whoever in, in, a, in a product, but, you know, of course, then you lose your, uh, your ownership of the creature. It's so, they just kind of go through just a number of, of topics, but the majority of it is um, discussing just ways of utilizing, creating, um, you know, monsters. So like, for instance, um, it, it could be from simply from the first one is entitled Monsters Are Scary by Mike Mason, uh, mm-hmm. which kind of goes through you know, like utilizing the senses to um, and descriptions in order to um, make monsters interesting to later on, they'll talk about like somebody saying, well, here's some guys who are just reskinning monsters. You know, why do you, why make things whole cloth when you can just, you know, uh, just take what's already existing that may do what you want, even though it's completely unrelated and just strip that out and, and make it into something else. And, and some there's also articles about utilizing creatures from folklore, yeah. you know, so in kind of the do's and don'ts. But I think the first one was, was by Mike Mason, who's uh, who's known for his uh, Call of Cthulhu. And um, it, it's funny is the first time kind of uh, doing jokes. I don't know whether it's, it's funny doing it the second time. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it a go. They don't. Nobody knows that we, we, we've already been through this Okay, before. yeah. Well, it's Cthulhu, 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 Cthulhu. It, it doesn't really matter how you speak it, but, uh, but he's, he's known for, uh, I think, for that. But one of the things he talks about utilizing senses, and, um, and he says that, because um, he gave an example of, you know, like rather than saying, you know, this is for adventure, this is not, for just a creature writer, but saying, you know, something like, instead of saying an ogre steps out of the cave, tell them something like the following. Your nostrils are assaulted by a foul and earthly smell, which seems to be emanated from that dark mouth, uh, the dark cave mouth over there. As you turn to look, you get a sense of something large moving just inside the cave. But it's too dark to make anything out. So in this example, you're using the senses, in this case, senses uh, or smell and sight, to build some atmosphere and tension. So... I think one of the things he's talking about is often, you know, in our descriptions, uh, the senses, you know, other than sight are often neglected. And those are types of things that are often helpful to put in to, to kind of highlight a creature. Yeah, and I, I think it's a great idea, um, but I just, I guess I, I, I hesitate using it too much. And especially if you have a monster-filled dungeon, is more more it's going to be i think you mentioned before like the thespian gm kind of uh <laughs> going into overdrive and dramatics with uh what's going on and and sometimes it's you know and, and i get what he's saying here because his article's about that i think it works better though in a world where 
monsters are more like kind of a rare like a beowulf situation or 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 you just you've got like this one big bad creature or you know there's no race of ogres maybe there's only one ogre or only one one type of this creature is if you've got a world full of orcs and you're trying to kind of re-describe an orc too many times the players are going to be oh i just i, I just roll <laughs> yeah yeah and i think the thing too is you know too there's also a situation is if if things are common uh it, in your encounters of them sometimes you know if 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 they let's say encounter ogres often mm-hmm. and if certain smells and sights are always similar then you're still coming down to you can go through a song description they're like oh it's an ogre's cave <laughs> right and i mean that's something you can play on though and use like your player's experience though you can describe the stuff and then the and then, like, if one of the players is maybe a ranger or somebody who's just experienced servers before, and they, they might ask, is this kind of what I've seen before? It's like, yeah, in your experience, this is what you've seen in the past. And then and then that way it's kind of cool because then you're using, you know, your experience of the, I guess, the characters and uh, that you can, you can like we were talking about, uh, maybe like the area context also involved, not just the senses, but the, the the stuff that's going around that makes sense to to um, describe that maybe a creature's there, even without even seeing the creature. Yes. And I, I think that's also, I mean, something like that could be good for if you're all of a sudden making people realize it's something that's like very dangerous. Yeah. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's like, because <laughs> right because all of a sudden to, to say yeah we're you know it's, if it's a common thing and you're always like yeah it's oh we're in the orcs barracks well you already maybe now you know it's orcs or it's, it's yeah. or yeah you know, if it doesn't matter whether it's orcs or goblins we know that statistically they're about the same so it doesn't really make any difference but all of a sudden you put pieces together and you're like oh wait a minute uh duh, 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 okay this is uh we're in the belly of a purple or we're in a burrow of a purple worm or we're, you know, right. Yeah. And it makes sense, complete sense to do that. Like, especially with Mike's experience writing for Cthulhu. I mean, cause a lot of it's Cthulhu is all about atmosphere and, and, uh, building up that tension and fear or whatever. Yeah. I think it goes also your type of game. Cause you know, going yeah, exactly. through if, if, if orcs are common, if kobolds are common, or if dragons are common, whatever it may be, then it's probably less, well, I'd say less important, but it, it's less impactful. Yes. Yeah. And less meaningful. And so, and that, but I think the idea, you know, going back is at least to me, you know, he's speaking from a, a Cthulhu background or side of things, even though it's a, applicable. I feel that the, in general, with most of the fantasy stuff that's out there, the the monsters are so varied and so common that they're probably really, it's really not as, they're, they tend to be kind of expected and they're not necessarily scary. Right. You know, it's kind of like. Yeah, they're, they're less monster than just more, you know, they. You know, because monsters, we think of big, scary things a lot of times in the dark or that we have no chance where they just become t- 
targets more than <laughs> a lot of times than, than I guess a monster connotation. But I mean, it's still, it's a good practice though. I mean, it really is. I, I, I think it's a good idea to always try to do that. I mean, even not even for monsters, even for uh, treasure and just room descriptions. Sometimes it's good to just once in a while, try to take it up a notch and try to, try to get into maybe some some details that maybe you normally wouldn't do just to add a little bit of texture to your adventure well and also i'll throw this out i mean i think you've discovered this with joe the lawyer is uh all you got to have is a, a a couple sound effects and you get a perfect you get what a gm really wants out of a player to just <laughs> be kind of exactly. nervous and scared and you know and and so you could see in those cases for someone like Joe throwing in a soundscape uh, does uh, I say soundscape, but uh, throwing in like in this, you hear this or you hear that. I mean, that, that right. is, that is very effective. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Joe's yeah. Joe's like, he's a different kind sure. of livestock in every room and he listens at the door <laughs> and he runs away yes, after hearing yeah. the, if if anybody out there is ever going to play games with joe you don't need monsters all you need is barnyard animals and he's terrified yeah if he, he'll just run away if he just yeah. He is, as long as he doesn't see him if he just hears them yeah <laughs> right, <that's> right. <laughs> but, but i think the thing uh, is it's like you know that was not your intent initially no but no. really you know you think about that there are some people that are you know you could start throwing in those you know say your random encounters you know you know, have some sort of noise or have some sort of things mm-hmm. to make a smell or a feeling um, that can add, be part of the encounter and make, you know, players kind of question what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a blast if you can achieve that uh, with your, with your characters. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Cause I think what it's doing is highlighting the unknown. Right. And, and it, it's so hard to achieve that anymore because everybody's, you know, it's, I mean, years ago, it was definitely a little bit easier. But, you know, after you've got like myself, you know, 40 plus years under my belt or whatever. Uh, and then a lot of players just, you know, and then, of course, the culture, you're just saturated with monsters and fantasy and and just fantastical things that they lose their unknownness, their mystery. And, uh, and trying, sometimes trying to recapture that game is, is very difficult. Well, if you also go back through the history of like the older, um, uh, monsters, um, and even later on where it's like, they'll have a creature that then I'll say everybody knows what a creature is like a mummy. Right. And then, then later on, they'll present another creature that looks like a mummy, but it isn't a mummy. It has some sort right. of twist. Yeah. And they play off your expectations. Yeah. Because way. all of a sudden, yeah. everybody knows what a mummy is. Everybody knows how to deal with a mummy. And, uh, but then there's a point where it's, it's, it, it can get kind of absurd where you're just creating creatures that are necessarily anything more than just, I want a mummy, but I don't want people to treat it like a mummy, but it's kind of a mummy. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I, I you see that I saw that a lot. Like you know, when you're talking about, it's funny you talk about mummies, and I'm I'm thinking about when the Fiend Folio came out and they had the 
the adherer and then the sons of cost yeah. and they all look very mummy like in it and that but as a gm what i would always try to do is put them in some sort of cultural relevance of why there was a difference in these mummies and why they came about in different ways while you might have your normal mummy like i don't know over in this area you experience the these guys over here because of something else or whatever so you know i try to ground the differences into the gaming world that i have at least i attempt to sometimes very you know degrees of success but that's what my it, i don't is. think there's anything wrong with them per se but it's all a reaction out of everybody already knows exactly yeah and then you get into the beholders right oh yeah. so then you can get and someone's going through all the different i think it was from the monstrous manual but like the six or seven different kinds of beholders. so then you have beholders that actually aren't really even dangerous you know you also have stuff that just it's just it, it it's kind of becomes a real weird meta thing at, at a certain point well you get well i mean i didn't know there were six or seven times of people i you know i only know there's, about the there's one, a spectator there's the oh all, that's right you know. and it wasn't there one that was just like a helium balloon that looked like one and then you <laughs> yeah. hit it and it blew up or something like that and just floated around waiting for you to hit it that was the only reason they existed it's just a it's just to to, to mess with players it's all yeah it's like the kid's balloon floating around that looks like a beholder and then you kind of hit it and you're like ow i forgot what that was there's was that the floating eye or something i don't remember i don't remember i do remember that one i thought that was an odd one yeah it's because beholders you know it kind of became boring but you know but also if you you know go back uh not uh, get on my soapbox a bit but also the way monsters were presented both in the monster manuals and in the adventures, a lot of times were very unimaginative. They were just simply a thing you killed and without really any understanding of how they right. act or any other possible ways of dealing with them, with them dealing with the characters other than directly in a, you know, a, 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 a combat sense. Yeah, it was rare. Yeah. I mean, yeah, monsters were just like uh, another obstacle to overcome in basically in combat. I mean, that's what it was geared around. But uh, yeah, because it and then if you encounter a mummy or a beholder, a lot of times you're you're not probably going to parlay with them too much. You're probably going to run away or you're going to try to get that first shot in and then see what happens. It goes yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. But we're, I think, you know, like these days, they're de- definitely a lot more ventures tend to be a little bit more um, friendly or open to more role playing aspects with with uh, creatures. Yeah. Um, and I will say, though, I'll still go back to um, our discussion about the uh, Forbidden City. Mm-hmm. They really do have some very good setups for the creatures and for ways. Oh, they do. And, and what's really great about that one too, and I was thinking about that is just the diversity of the races that are within there too. You know, you, you look and all those races are so extremely different at the same time. Yes. You know, and I, and I didn't really even think about that before, like just the, even the looks of them, but it just fits the well to, so to fits well together and then having that ability to role play with them um, 
just adds to it. It just adds nice layers of complication and uh, uh, drama <laughs> into the adventure. And, and, I, and, and I don't think, um, you know, of course, I'm not a, a person that studied or read lots of D&D adventures, but it doesn't seem like that really got replicated much at all. No, I mean, I've read a lot of, you know, ventures through the years and everything, and rarely does that happen. I mean, you, you, I can't remember the, what was the, oh, what was it called? It was another city adventure, The Lost City. Yeah. That one was filled with factions, too. Uh, the three different factions um, that you could you could uh, play against one another or ally stuff. It didn't happen a lot. It happened here and there but most of the time yeah you you basically had big bad monsters that had treasure that you wanted and the only way they were going to give it up is if you you know pounded on them until they assumed room temperature yeah it's um it it is it is something that say that that looking at the creatures i think it's it's trying to find things that are unique and interesting and highlight them in a way that players can interact with them in interesting ways. And I'm curious. No, go ahead. John. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it just seems like, uh, you know, there's definitely been many missed opportunities, but, uh, but also uh, the other thing that Mike uh, highlights on well, there's two things. Uh, one is also just saying, you know, they're not, they don't all look the same. Right. You, know, you could have an ogre have like one has three eyes or or whatever um it's it i think they're you know again i think it goes back to the number of times we expect the players to encounter a thing and how common it is and how often you want to go through this but in general i think there's a tendency just to just say an ogre without really other interesting details yeah I mean, it's fun to to come up with stuff, but I mean, I think if you get into the unique details like we were discussing before, you've got a hundred goblins and one of them's got a patch over his eye, you better <laughs> name it because the players are going to want to make it a higher one, just, a, you know, just the way it is. But I, I was kind of thinking in between there too, I was thinking about like uh, Lord of the Rings. You think about all the, the what is it, Urog? Is that what they're called there? Yeah, I can't remember. But but the, I mean, they're they're all different, but they kind of all look the same, except for the one like maybe lead guy is bigger than everybody else. Well, the the created ones, the created mm-hmm. ones actually were bigger and more, I'd say, uniform in looks. Okay. Where the it it to me like the orcs that at least as far as the movies go, mm-hmm. the orcs that were the original orcs, the ones that were the probably the twisted elves or whatever, they were almost goblin like we would describe as goblin right, ass. Yeah. And right, and right. they were probably more different in size and they they were the way Peter Jackson showed them they almost seemed like they were uh like imagine from a post-apocalyptic movie almost like mutants like everybody's kind of got their own deformities. Right. Uh, yeah. And their armor was and different it, too. It seemed like it's more their yeah. armor's more cobbled together rather than manufactured like the uh Urukai. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it, it's just like, how much effort do you want to put into that? I, I mean, I think I think this guide is definitely geared a little, I don't know if it's geared for both. I guess it is the way you described, because I haven't read it, but um, for writing and um, for just playing a game, 
but if you're writing, you, you know, you definitely have to take into account how much room you got to do to, to, to how many descriptions, unique descriptions do you want to share? Right. Right. So, and that, that does, that, that definitely is, uh, does come into play because, you know, and the thing too, it's like, you know, you know, where's the point where the description is evocative and, and there's, where's the point where it starts to becoming, uh, tedious. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and, and I guess it depends on your players too, or, or your, like if you're at the table, if you got a patient group who, who enjoys that kind of stuff and that level of detail, then, you know, indulge into it all you want. But I guess you know, like anything, you just have to adjust your, your, what you're going to do. And then in your writing too, depending on what your adventure you're trying to portray, sometimes you want to have those unique kind of monsters where you want to take that time and the patience to add that depth and those details. And then there's other times you just want to say there's a room full of a hundred orcs. Yeah, but I think the thing is, though, what you could do, where I where I will, I'll defend Mike Mason here, uh, we'll just say, uh, quote unquote, uh, as mm-hmm. if he needs defending. <laughs> but but there could be You're things. Still trying to get that bribe, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Go for it, Mike. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, but if there's a room full of a hundred orcs, let's just say there is, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just because there's a the fact that there's a hundred orcs, there is going to be something significant smell wise, sound wise. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. I think, in a sense, you don't necessarily <laughs> need to individualize each orc at that point, but you do need to individualize the encounter and yeah. maybe the senses that are tied to that. You know, as you go up, maybe you're hearing the whatever sounds of whatever it sounds of snoring or the sounds of bickering or the sounds of whatever it may be, or, or maybe you smell, you know, you know, describe what you imagine the smell of a hundred goblins would be like, or whatever, whatever that may be. I think the idea is that, that there is to that encounter uh, ways that you can um, even individualize the encounter, so to speak, not necessarily have to individualize each orc. No, I, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I think we, we found a common ground there. So yeah, sounds good. So, uh, now let's talk Shauna, okay. what's, what's the next one you got because i was kind of interested i saw shauna um did one uh did an article in there i'm kind of curious what she wrote about. so shauna's was uh make friends with it turning monsters into allies i've not read that one yet oh yeah yeah okay that, that sounds exactly what she would kind of and it goes with That's steve cool. winners when fighting doesn't solve everything when when fighting doesn't solve everything? yeah yeah okay so there's, you know, so they look at that, and I think the idea too is, you, you, you know, you, you know, the, the, you know, the joke is that you mentioned, or the, the humorous note is like, if you make, you know, one goblin different than, or several goblins, or whatever it may be, then, then, then they're going to try and turn that 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 uh, creature into a henchman. Right. Yeah. But. There's a lot of fun in that. Oh, there is. Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, I mean, if I, if I, you know, I'm gonna end up putting a goblin with an eye patch in our next game or something. Yeah. Jeff, just, just, um, We're gonna do experiments. It's gonna be a social experiment. Yeah, it's still social. Yeah, you can watch the others how they react. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I would do that on purpose because you know why not? Let's see. Let's see what the players, I mean, in a way it's, it's a way for a GM for me to gauge 
the, I don't know, the temperament of the group, how they're going to react in these situations. So if I want to set something up in the future, and I mean, this is a, a ploy that I use sometimes, but like, if I want to introduce an important NPC in the future that I don't want it to be combat oriented, or I, I would like it to, to be more of a, you know, um, an NPC that's an ongoing, uh, what do you want to call it, antagonist. If I just throw them in there, are the players just going to just roll for initiative right away, or are they going to do some sort of par, you know, parlay with it or whatever? And I can throw these unique little goblins with a pie patch on there and different things just to see how maybe they'll react to it. But you know, yeah, even going back to the also the Forbidden City where you have the hobgoblin or not the hobgoblins, but the bugbears who are all in general they're bad guys all the way around. Right. But there's a one particular bugbear that wants to overthrow the other bugbear and can't see. Right. How, it's like you know you're not necessarily necessarily going to be best of buds the bugbear and maybe you don't even trust the bugbear once he overthrows to actually be your friend but bless you're an interesting plot to say you know what we could disrupt bugbears by creating a civil war yeah you could have a live form for just you know a couple days get this one plot line or you know you know help him out with his thing and then watch the chaos you know uh erupt from that and then maybe maybe as a gm and maybe based on situations maybe that guy becomes an ally later on or not but it's it's all of a sudden turned bugbears into being a just a mere statistic into something like wow that's kind of interesting and it's not and it fits within the fiction too so they're not really Mm -hmm. you know uh betraying i don't say betraying but you know it's like okay this bugbear is being pragmatic and is wanting to use you for for his ends you are the means to an end and um yeah and I think that's important. I mean, it's it's better than just having a three hit dice bugbear with that does one d eight damage or whatever. Yeah, it's just a bunch of statistics. Yeah, and, or who just walks just, up for no reason to says, "Well, we be my friend." <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not to, a big. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jeff. Said, unless he wants to be everybody's friend, doesn't fight. And I guess that'd be interesting. But right, maybe that's part of his characteristic. He's just like one of those, you know. Abandoned little bugbears, and he's got. They like, consider you know, him immoral uh, because he won't follow the group. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're not moral enough to be with us. You're not right. willing to pillage and destroy. <laughs> you just don't have no backbone. Well, I'd encourage that for anybody to do. Like take these these, especially the goblinoid creatures. I mean, they're so generic the way they're written up in a lot of ways. But if you just, if you look at the descriptions close enough, and even if you, you get like those guide to, you know, the, like the Slayer's guide or the complete guide or whatever, they do have enough cultural differences that you can really individualize them and, and kind of start creating individuals out of the culture once you've kind of got that developed. And then you can have like, you know, the people who are completely adherent to the culture, the outliers, the different factions within the culture, just like in, in the, the Forbidden City, you've got this microculture of these, these uh, bugbears, and there's enough there that even you already have an outlier and somebody wants to, to assassinate, you know, the, the leader. Yeah. And it makes it so much more interesting. Yeah, you know, it, it. I, I think the, yeah, I think it. So if I think I were, if I had, 
uh, if I was a rich man, just okay. like Javier from. Uh, I was going to say, are we going to start singing now? <laughs> I would, but I can't. Uh, I could, uh, but yeah. I shouldn't. I guess I should. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, I would. I would go to Doug Niles. I would say, let's cut out the the all the other uh, the city part. Let's expand that out and and just do it like a full fledged campaign within that that city. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. so much that's going on that unfortunately is mainly just kind of pointed at and never really developed because of yeah. space constraints, I'm assuming. It hints at a lot more than what's there. Yeah, because you start you actually start mapping things out and dissecting it's like there is a lot of potential for a GM that's actually pointed to but not directed to or yeah I mean, it's not quite right but it's in there but it's not in a way that as you read it you can and you're taking notes you're like oh that's interesting oh that's interesting oh now i see how this all ties together without really any sort of saying hey in the beginning this is a situation because really the, the it's it is kind of um it's a little schizophrenic and it's in its approach because i think as you pointed out uh another podcast that really was intended for a camp or for convention um tournament play tournament yeah. play yeah and then they kind of uh added this other portion to it's right but anyway the other thing steve talks about is uh making them unpredictable and that you know hmm. they know their lair they're not stupid they, right. they also don't most most thinking creatures don't want to fight to the death so don't you know a lot of them are willing to are going to retreat you know, and and I think even you know way we run our games, the way we run our games, um, we, you know, it's very easy just to just to not, and to just run them till they're to zero hit points. Where it's like, well, maybe they sever a quarter of their losses. They just they hightail it, but they're going to go right. warn other people, or they're going to you know come back at a later date, or maybe they just, they'll just leave all together and never you'll never see them again. But I think the idea is that. You know, we, we kind of, we see an encounter and we kind of treat it just as a mindless encounter without thinking, you know, these are thinking creatures. But absolutely. I mean, I, I think more recently I've been using the morale rolls more yeah. than I ever have before. I've never, never used those before until like the past few years. I don't know why. I guess I just didn't like them before. I don't know what my reasoning was for that or i just just never but i think it adds like you were talking about you know more of a you know decision making when things are going bad uh like in the old school essentials you know they have their their real simple 2d6 system about you know morale with that and um i like generally what i do with that is i'll just take their morale roll and if things are going bad i'll add them have a minus one and if things are going good they're a plus one so that way when i'm rolling uh, or it seems like it's appropriate to roll i'll do that and i think that definitely helps me sometimes make the choice whether these things are going to fight to the death or not because uh, you know if i've got a couple kobolds and they're getting their asses beat, but then I roll like a, a 12 morale. Then they, all of a sudden they start puffing their chest and pounding their stuff. And they're like, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, we'll stay here until we die. And of course, if I run roll a two, then they're, you know, basically drop to their knees crying and say, please don't yeah. hurt us. Please don't. No. 
Well, and I think the thing is, in real life, uh, people, you know, we're just talking about people here, obviously, because no, no mm-hmm. bugbears or goblins in, in real life. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't take a significant number of losses for troops to pull back. I mean, it's it. I mean, there are times where you're stuck in a firefight, I suppose, you know, and those you can't get out. But in general, right. you start taking casualties, they'll they'll start pulling back unless it's a very strategic, very strategic, you know, spot they have to hold. Yeah. Uh, that's that holds to the, the old Mike Tyson saying, "Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think what happened is, you know, I remember back in our D and D days. Uh, back when we ran advanced, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'd run away. I mean, that was not uncommon, you know, but I think the, I, I think the more modern, the more you have healing and the more you have the ability to, to, well, I guess healing in any of its forms, the more available the healing right. is, the more players are going to push it to the limit. Yeah, I mean, especially, I guess, in fifth edition, because you have so many different options on how to recover your hit points. Well, but anytime you have a healing potion or a cleric that can heal, your mm-hmm. attitude's going to be different than if you don't. Well, yeah. And they, well, they didn't even need those because they can just like take a short rest and do right. Their, yeah. You know, pump up things where if you're old school, I mean, sometimes you don't even get that choice because a lot of times your character can only take one or two hits anyways and you're done. So sometimes the decision is taken away from you depending on how bad the dice rolls are. But if, but if you take, maybe even with old school, if you take away the potions, because mm-hmm. they still have potions then it'll change and if you take away clerics it'll change yeah yeah oh yeah but like but with uh fifth edition with people's abilities oh it, right you know it uh definitely you're you're gonna st- you're gonna stand in there and take a couple more hits probably or right. really test out the waters a little it's bit. it's okay if you die because all it takes is somebody cast that revive spell or whatever as and but right. I'm just my point is the more available the healing is to the characters, right. the more they'll the push more. it to the limit. I think. Yes, absolutely. And because they're yeah. pushing it to the limit, then I think the GM also in turn has that mindset of pushing the monsters to the limit. Right. And I guess yeah, I guess the point for my the old school thing that I was saying is you can have your healing potions, but you got to be alive for them to work. Right. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> You know, if you're dead, you're dead. You know, your healing's not going to... But the thing like that it, we did that wasn't true was the... Mm-hmm. In combat, you're not going to drink a potion. Right. It's like you got swords. You got people whacking at you. You got your hands yeah, full. Dig through your backpack. And I mean, I can't even find, you know, change when I'm at the convenience store, let alone <laughs> yeah, find yeah. a potion in the backpack. <laughs> so... I think in some ways you're right. It's not when you're dead, uh, but 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 it but still even just the fact that you have if you have if you can at an instant drink a potion and heal it back, mm-hmm. you're you're not gonna you're not gonna push as far as somebody that can get brought back from the dead, which I I find annoying. But myself, even when I'm the recipient sure. of it, I find that's just like this is ridiculous. No, I I'm, I agree with you because if you don't have that threat, it takes away for me. It takes away the the danger the immediacy of the threat of death and i don't know i mean if you're in combat and that's and you you and the game that i enjoy i should say i i like having that threat of death that i if i do this wrong 
I'm, I'm going to be rolling up, you know, 3D6 six times in a row and <laughs> making up a new character. Right. Mm. The um, So Mike Shea, I, I can't find his right now, but his was, mm-hmm. he discussed just about, uh, I believe, just simply reskinning monsters. So, oh, really? Well, the idea is like, and I've done this before, it's like, Mm-hmm. Let's say you got goblins. Okay. And you're also you I want to have a big goblin who's like the emperor of goblins. Okay. He's the goblin. Right. He's the goblinest goblin of them all. All you gotta really do is just take a bugbear and write goblin emperor on bugbear, and you've got yourself a goblin emperor. Very true. Yeah, and at that point, you know, if you want, you know, I think the idea of balance. I, I don't. I think uh, you know the CR ratings, blah 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 blah, is probably more important in certain later editions, and you know that's a whole different discussion. But at least at that point, you know exactly what you've got as far as the GM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's easy, you know, and it's easy to do, and. Less work, right? Rather than saying I, I take a regular goblin, but then what I do is I give them not only give them more hit points, but I give them some special abilities, and right. I allow them to this weird damage. It's like, well, you don't know exactly what effect that's going to have, you know, because you're just creating something new. But if you've already have something you, you've seen before, you know exactly how it's going to perform, right? And oh, it makes sense. And I you mean, can uh, do the same thing like with with hill giant shoulder you could make them bugbears it doesn't really matter is that what mike said to kind of do to take like a bugbear and make it your goblin yeah goblin or let's goblin. say you wanted a goblin wizard i think it was what he said is like it wasn't a wizard, but, but something like that well just take an imp oh yeah sure so it doesn't yeah. even have to be even the same category you know mm-hmm. you just you look at if you just look at if you just take away the picture and all you just look at is what does this thing do? Mm-hmm. And then you can, you can steal from, from all sorts of things. And there's no, from the GM side, there's no surprises, you know, cause it's, it, you don't have to worry about if you just created something that's broken or, or nerfed, mm-hmm. but you also can quickly, just very quickly come up with something that you need. You know? Yeah. And I think that's important, especially for a GM. Trying to find efficient ways to create new things. Yeah. And I think it's like, so like my son, uh, who plays, uh, we kind of play occasionally on Sundays when we can, but you know, he's like, Oh, I want to do this luck mechanic. I want to, I have this idea and you know, da, 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 da. But I think maybe you flip a coin. If you get heads, you get advantage. You flip, it goes tails, you get disadvantage. And it's like, well, okay. I said, you know, it's a lot of complication. <laughs> And I don't know that the effect's really that great. I said, but you know, you know, you're better off if you want to do a magic user that ba- is based on luck. All you got to do is take spells that exist, you know, like sleep spell. Well, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe banana peels appear under their feet and they slip and they hit their head and they get knocked out for a little bit. You know, right. you can, if you just take away the actual for creatures, for spells, you just take away the, the, um, the flavor text and just look at the mechanics and then rethink it in that same way, you can reuse a lot of things. Hmm. Yeah. That'd be interesting. That'd be interesting to see someone like take a sleep spell and take all the descriptions out and then have like right 
two or three different variants of a sleep spell. Yes. Right. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that would be really interesting. Actually. Yeah, you could because you could do it thematically. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, right. So, if you wanted to say based on luck, it's just those types of things. You know, it could be just funny stuff, or you could, you know, treat it kind of serious. You're like maybe your mage armor or whatever, or whatever the spell is that gives armor class to uh, to magic users. All it really is is just you know they just. They turn out the way right the right time, or they trip over their shoelaces, and a and an arrow misses them. It doesn't have to be exactly what it says. It's just the effect right. is the same because really all you're doing is saying, you know, my luck is protecting me in some sort of way. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. And so, and once you do that, you know, the it's it's easy it, if you can ch- change your vision, way of looking at pre-existing creations, and. You know, it really allows you to on the fly uh, do stuff, and it also allows you to put things in without worrying about, you know, like my son creating this mechanics. Like, well, you know, it's it's it might be fun, but it may be very tedious, and you don't know what, how it's going to play out. Where if you do something that's already existing and play tested, and kind of you know got the stamp of of usage, then you you know exactly what effects it's going to have, and then you know it's already kind of I don't want to say it's very balanced as far as power, but but that's that that too, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know. So anyhow, uh, that I thought was uh, was very good. They yeah, also, I like that idea. Yeah. They also, um, you know, kind of also talking a little bit about um, creatures from creatures from uh, 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 from folklore. Yeah, that, I mean, mm-hmm. in which is kind of nice. Uh, I. I think the problem I have, you know, I say is you, you don't want to change it too much because otherwise it's no longer that thing. You know, sure. You know, and then, and I was listening to a world building um, podcast and they're kind of talking about, cha- you know, he says change three things, uh, his idea, but you know, you it, change three things like on the, mo- the, the creature. Well, his is basically, if you want to take a culture, whatever culture may be, say, I want to do a not elf, mm. but I want, it's going okay. to be an elf. So just, look at elf things and just think of three things. If you change three things, it's no longer, uh, it's no longer, um, it's less, people are going to make less of a connection. Gotcha. So the, the problem is though, if you go too far with a folklore creature, you don't like, for instance, you may want to change it. Like let's, he didn't say this, but let's say for instance, vampires, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you want to use vampires, but maybe you want to say, you know what, but you know, you can't, you have to it the stake through the heart's not the way to kill it or whatever it may be or maybe garlic the you might want to change one or two things but if you change so much about a vampire that no longer is recognizable as a vampire then you really lost that connection that somebody would have with a folklore creature yeah it's interesting you you bring that up because i've I just recently bought uh, Neverland off of Amazon. This this guy wrote oh, it's it's an amazingly beautiful book. So it's basically b- based off the of Peter Pan world in Neverland. Okay, and they and what he's done is he's taken these creatures like the I forgot what the crocodile thing is, but he's he's made it into he's 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 changed them enough to make them a little bit more unique and a little bit more gameable, but still very recognizable. And it's just so enjoyable to read, you know, because I still have that connection, but I'm learning new things because of the little differences that are there. 
Yeah, the what's interesting about with Knight's Black Agents, uh, the Ken Height book using the uh, mm-hmm. the uh, said cipher system, the uh, gumshoe system, gumshoe, is I think yeah. you there's it's always a vampire conspiracy. <laughs> okay. So no matter what, it's a vampire conspiracy. They are infiltrating, and there's but there are certain things about the vampires that are randomly determined beforehand. Okay. So it's it is always you know they are evil creatures. They I mean that there is no doubting they are the enemy. There's no doubting that they'll drain the blood out of people. And I mean there's just certain things that are no doubt. But there's but you can't. It's like going back to the mummy. I think the problem right. with mummies is they basically are not only are they just uninteresting <laughs> as written yeah. up. They are. Right. It's like oh you know but they are also just. Uh, but there's also nothing that gives any indication that there's any really variation between them. You know? I get that. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think the other yeah. problem is with the old way, you know, I'll read through the old monster manuals or old creatures write up is their way of doing variation. They a lot of times will do with the weapons they carry, but it's sometimes it's just so bizarre, you know, like there's a third, there's a 15% chance that they carry a halberd. You know, there's a 20% chance, you know, they carry a longsword and a shield. You know, there's a 15% chance and you're like, why would in a right mind would you create a random percentage table for like six variations of weapons and... What weapon they carry. Yeah, it's like, you know, I kind of get it, but why not just say, you know... Here are the typical ways things that they carry. Divide how you want. Yeah. You know, it just it just kind of it just it weighs time. But I think the idea is, you know, you want some variation in the in the creature that that it's not always expected. Of course, I guess I guess it doesn't necessarily apply if you're expecting them to have weapons. But you know, it's just um, it, it, but especially with folklore creatures like Bigfoot. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we have things about Bigfoot, but you know. But maybe something's interesting is that he goes in people's houses and watches TV all day, you know. <laughs> it's the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the the characters, uh, uh, they are they know they're gonna get a a reward for capturing Bigfoot. So they just they have to weigh the value of breaking into people's houses to catch Bigfoot right. while watching TV. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and avoiding people telling them that they're crazy. Right, going to jail again. There we go. There we go. I was looking for Bigfoot. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, I I think there's just I think in general, you know, looking at ways of flipping. You know, they talk about using uh, and you know uh, monsters as allies. We kind of kind of discuss this. I think I think the idea is you know we the reason things get stale is because I think we don't. Uh, create variation in what we're what we're doing right it's just it's, it's and i just, think one of the the more difficult things is especially when you're talking about developing like a monster or even any type of ongoing antagonist in a game is having the players find the value of keeping them alive <laughs> or you know just so you can continue that on to allow this like maybe this particular monster to become something more than just a stat block um, or a new set of powers and whatnot. Uh, and I think also the, another flip side too is, mm-hmm. is maybe the creatures themselves have 
interest in doing things other than, of course, the problem is the mechanics and D and especially old school D and D don't support this, but it's like having the, the, the creatures having a reason for keeping uh, the characters alive. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe their point is, you know, it could be, you know, well, we just want to wrap them in a cocoon and storm later for food, you know, mm-hmm. or it could be, you know, a lot of other things that are, um, you know, maybe, or maybe, yeah, maybe this, Maybe he has, has a you know, option for food later on. Whether maybe goblins just absolutely love, you know, elf flesh, and they'll go out of their way to make sure those elves stay alive, and then try and fatten them up. You know, whatever it may be. You know, it, right. it's it's much more interesting uh, when you actually kind of put some other things in there rather than just being a, a direct uh, desire to to kill the characters. Yeah, like years ago, we had I had an adventure. I was running through my Comor forest, and the characters ran against this ward. Now, the funny thing about that is none of them knew what a ward was. They thought I just made this super creature up that was gonna, <laughs> you know. Then they were surprised that it talked, and and you know, it was just so funny that they were. Uh, sometimes gamers, I think that they know stuff and they don't, and and it just sometimes that results into some kind of comical situations such as this so here's this warg you know he's a pretty powerful creature intelligent but he didn't kill the party he just wanted tribute you know you're gonna give me some tribute for this so like and they did because they knew if they didn't they were gonna pretty much get you know he threatened to to do horrible things to him and whatnot so for the rest of the campaign all they could think of as they leveled up we're gonna go back and kill that war we're gonna go kill that war we're gonna and it but when it came time, it was really interesting because they didn't realize the whole the warg knew more than they did about certain things, and you know, just eating them wasn't the only reason. Yeah, um, it was the, the least interesting thing it could do. Right, it had another reason to keep them alive that they were never they were not aware of, especially for the, Joe's actual character. He specifically was not going to kill Joe's. He may have killed the rest of them, but there was a reason why he wasn't going to kill Joe's. And then it was funny because then later on, when we're talking probably like six, seven months down the line, they had a chance to go battle with the war. But not at that time, now their concerns had turned to bigger things. No longer was it concerned about seeking revenge for this war. They had this other bigger, badder enemy that they had to um, confront, and they actually needed the war's help. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, and then so there had so so for a very short time, a brief time, uh they were allies. And of course, as soon as that part was over, you know, everybody got suspicious. But Joe's character actually then at that time discovered why the warg was didn't kill them all those months ago. And it's just kind of fun to have those aha moments with uh, with the characters when they realize, you know, even though they still hate the war, you know, there was, there was no love loss there. Uh, with yeah, but they they understood his actions, even though it took them like seven or eight months in game or real time uh, to to get that knowledge and and. I, I just, that's the stuff I love doing in game. Well, if you look at like fiction, mm-hmm. the, some of the most interesting things are, I mean, is that people will have a nemesis that they think killing is not an option. 
Right. But they, but they have to deal with them. And so to me, like, we just go back to Marvel, like, say, uh, Thor and Loki. Right. You know, Thor cannot kill Loki. And there's always going to be this antagonistic, well, maybe not always, but however you want to deal with the whole thing. But I mean, yeah. you know, if, if you look at reoccurring or different things, it's like sometimes the most interesting thing is, okay, how are you going to deal with this person? That you neither one of you can kill the other. That's just not a, right. that's not an option, you know. But you also are trying to, you know, maybe you have to work. Like you said, they had to work together sometimes, which made it, mm-hmm. you know, where that makes I think for a more interesting story. Maybe it, it doesn't lend itself for a, um, you know, for a uh, one shot or for a mega dungeon. But but right. my goodness, it does make for much more interesting storytelling when. Your, your nemesis is somebody that you may just have to deal with. It could be your brother. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't yeah. kill my brother. It's like, but yet he's a thorn in your side the whole time. Yeah. Like one of my favorite examples of that is like, you go to the Harry Potter series, as far as I'm concerned, you know, Harry Potter and Voldemort, one thing, but the most interesting uh, character in that entire series was Snape, you know, and all the conflicts, even though he didn't like Harry, but because of what he promised in his past and, he helped him out and eventually saved him. And even though Harry thought he was a nemesis to them, or at least, a, uh, you know, uh, didn't like them or whatever, uh, in the end, Saint, you know, had to, you know, did what he did to, to save him and everything. And I just, his character story or character arc was way more interesting than I thought anybody else's was. Yeah, that, that is, uh, Yes, I agree. I agree. And I think just to jump tracks completely, but have you ever listened to the podcast called Heavyweight? <clears throat> so it was, there was the first season was like absolutely amazing. So generally, what would happen is people would go to Jonathan Goldstein and they would say, I've got a problem. I had something, something weird in a relationship, something happened in the past, or a mystery like, I don't know where. I lost track of my brother or whatever. And so he would like try and fix a situation. And so, you know, there's at least, I think two situations. One I can recall was a woman who was, I think raised by her, I think it was a foster mother and she had some bad feelings and couldn't understand why this or that. And, and it's been bothering all these years, but she, she could never approach this woman about it. And so she, the series of the podcast, I mean, it's the, the guy, Jonathan Goldstein's very funny. It's a very neat podcast. But so mm-hmm. he gets the people together, discussion, da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, her understanding of the situation was wrong. And once she understood from the other person's point of view, it's like it all, it's like magic. It all like went backwards and rewrote everything. Right. You know, and it's kind of thing with the Snape. I hate Snape. I hate Snape. I hate Snape. That single act at the end, all of a sudden, took every bad thing and rewrote wrote it in a completely different way. Put it in a different perspective. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, as far as like plotting, I mean, I don't know how easy that would be to pull off an RPG, but boy, that, yeah, but when you tough, see yeah. it, it's like, that is some magic there. I mean, you know, that is some very potent stuff where you're like, oh, this guy wasn't the bad guy the whole time. No, actually, mm-hmm. what I thought he was doing bad was actually good. I just, I didn't understand it from my point of view at that age. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny if you can pull it off, but yeah, it is not an easy thing. And you've got to have, 
you know, players willing to go for that, go for that ride and maybe not always have, you know, they can't win every situation. You know, there's they're going to be, have to be willing to, you know, take the losses and kind of not go murder hobo on. <laughs> yeah. And, and then this is a little bit off topic too, but I think the idea is having, let's say a nemesis and we're kind of, jumping away from the, the kobolds bit but um there are other game systems that are set up that have we'll just call them i'll call them i'll say mechanics but basically rewards for a gm kind of doing the narrative you know if they get the upper hand and and are about ready to kill the big bad guy that are you finally corner them but you need them to keep going on that they can miraculously escape you know Oh, I gotcha. So you get rewarded for that, huh? Yeah, and I think, and I don't know, I've never have done that, but I mean, I think the idea is, you know, you kind of could build up a nemesis, but, you know, especially with D&D, the problem is, is, you know, <laughs> you, know you know, sometimes characters get lucky, you know, like, like Strahd, let's say. Right. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, maybe, I don't know, I've not really gone through much of that, but, you know, you know, like all of a sudden it's, everybody's rolling 20s and you just took Strahd out in the beginning. It's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, on one hand, though, I think you got to be careful, you know, that you, you know, sometimes warrior, sometimes players are, are lucky. You know what I mean? And and they should be allowed to revel in their luck. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I think that's kind of what happened with uh, our adventure in Scorn, where, you know, some things we did uh, end up telescoping into creating events that were uh, that we couldn't foresee that had a beneficial effect that we could never have foreseen. Right. Um, but it wasn't, but it, you know, but I think you allowed things to progress easier and rapidly for that mission, just because you know what you, you guys did some actions and those actions had repercussions and those repercussions actually randomly turned out to be great. Good job. Mm-hmm. It's like- right. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty, pretty much it. I mean, it was, uh, and it was a natural progression too. It wasn't anything that was forced. It was just, uh, situations that were presented and actions that were taken kind of equaled what happened. I mean, I threw in some randomness in it for some dice rolls, but yeah, I mean, uh, it worked, you know, and you sometimes, might not understand completely why it worked but you get to see the results of your labor even though you're not like it's like okay how how did this (laughs) (laughs) you know how did it end up like this um but but that's fun too i mean i i kind of like that you know you guys have got you've you've got you got to see that uh, the the work that you did um was successful but you may not exactly understand why yet Yeah, I think I also was running a game one time as a champions game where I said, mm-hmm. your job is to guard this this um, armored truck from going point A to point B. Right. I had this whole adventure around where all of a sudden something happens, a big fight in Mill Street. And one of the players says, okay, my character picks up the truck and flies it to where it needs to go. <laughs> and at okay. that moment, I was like, 
<laughs> okay, we're gonna retcon this whole thing. <laughs> when you said, "Well, what do you want to play next?" <laughs> <laughs> Within five minutes, the the game was you know completely solved your problem. Yeah, huh? like you know, I just really wasn't that clever apparently to, to foresee the obvious. Uh, so yeah, and he was fine. I said, okay, we need to, you know, you were, you were escorting it and this happens. Okay. We'll start mm. in media res because probably is a better way to start. But I think sometimes, you know, even with your, your, your creatures, your characters, you know, it's like, I mean, maybe it's a good thing too. If you want somebody to be uh, important or reoccurring that you yeah. find a way to both be able to come back, but not in a way that also cheats the character or the players. Cause you know, sometimes, you know, they should be reward, but other times it's like, you know, it's, you know, it's a common trope of bringing people back from the dead, but it, there's a point right. where it starts getting old too. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's, that's a tricky one. Yeah. You definitely don't want to dip into that well too long. I mean, if there's a perfect reason why, because sometimes like I always, always tell Ivy when we're watching movies or a TV show, if you don't see them die on the screen, they're still alive. Yes if they die off screen then yeah you you know they you know that they're coming back uh and like the warg i suppose like you could have like let's say they did kill the warg mm-hmm. and then they left it and then you 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 know then later on you say you do realize that this is an evil magical creature and the only way to actually ensure it stays dead is to you know have done these things <laughs> right which nobody did now you've got an undead warg who's maybe right, weaker yeah. in some ways, but more powerful than the others, you know? Uh, but, you know, then if they kill that one, you can't say, well, you do realize that even though you did this, <laughs> right, the, your understanding the, the, was still incomplete. It, it comes the nemesis back. <laughs> is still there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways you can, you can uh, play with that, with that, but I, I mean, it is tough to get it so that the players are, um, willing to go for that ride you know for for extended period of time um i find as i get older and the, like the older my group gets the more willing they are to do that of course i mean when i was younger there was no way in hell that would ever happen i mean if you met an enemy you did not stop until you were dead or well here's the other thing is that you are running a game with everybody that that are gms again I did that last time. I run. I usually run games that are full of GMs. Yeah. yeah. So what? What I noticed <coughs> when I, you know, because I can't play without also analyzing stuff. Sure. It's that's both a blessing and a curse. I realize that everybody. So we have the the main uh, gal, uh, and I forget her name. The the um, sister Maria. The sister Maria. Yeah, in fact, I'm the one that named her, and I can't remember her name. <laughs> yeah, you are the one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, whatever she says, everybody's willing to do. And mm-hmm. I and I thought that's interesting because I think, I think we as GMs, we know we want to get to the adventure, right? And we don't want to have to spend a lot of time building up all the reasons why people want to do and cajole them to do it right and it's basically everybody understands you know the you know this person's a command so there's no questioning anything <laughs> that she says um not saying that we should but i just thought mm-hmm. it's interesting because i have a similar situation in another group but it's like 
whatever i don't have to go through anything elaborate but boy sometimes right. so some groups you would have to right yeah like why would i do what she says you know it's right. like well she also defers to you guys too quite a bit no like right. she'll ask you like exactly what your guys thoughts kind of to almost as like a little bit of a release valve for the the over you know this is what you're gonna do kind of thing um but, I, but yeah yeah but i'm saying as a, a, as a gm if somebody's running a game mm. and i know they want me to go to a certain direction like <laughs> i'm gonna go <laughs> right uh, and i'm you're gonna be you're gonna kind of go with see where the gm's gonna go with it and just kind of cooperate with the, whatever's going there yeah, yeah that's the way i am too yeah and, and i will help facilitate a gm you know mm. if if uh, with other players if i can to get other people going if it's necessary Right, but I just thought it's it's kind of interesting uh, the group that uh, nobody questioned. In fact, we're playing a call. Uh, we're playing a Delta Green game, right? And <laughs> it got really pretty. It got pretty ugly uh, last week in that we brought in a new character, um, and uh, she hasn't played with Delta Green. She's been a long time player, but she's she's been out for a while. But um, she plays a firefighter. And you know, we, we some ugly things happened. I mean, there was some <laughs> ugly things that my character had to do that were ugly. Okay. <laughs> and oh boy. She wasn't necessarily aware of all of it, but you know, but you know, but she joined our group and we're fine. But it's like, you know, like what's the odds of a firefighter coming across these quote unquote FBI agents? One of them who acts like a gangster, and the other one's like, you know, setting fire to ha- homes, like and shooting people. I mean, like, why would I, you know, uh, how I'm or even, but you know, I, it's just, she just went along with it and the GM didn't try and push it. And you're like, right. you know what, we can, we could probably role play this, try and go through this, but it's just like, it's just easier sometimes just to, you know, just get on board. Let's go on board right. the train, shoot you, we're fine. Let's go to yeah. our destination. You know, I, I get that. I mean, cause as a player, I try to, assist the gm with uh, the storyline that they're going with or um just let's see where this is gonna go i mean i might not do exactly everything I'm, i i still want to role play my character and kind of like uh explore that along with it so it may sometimes veer off a little bit but, but in general i try to work with what the gm's trying to do and just see where they're going with stuff no i mean i mean it's funny like how far we've come off the topic but it's still kind of like i think nemesis makes the in some ways like your best monsters i mean monsters don't just have to be you know big scaly green things they can be just people who do horrible things and 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 maybe they were your friends in the beginning and then they turn into your enemies or vice versa you know it's just i think the adversaries that you create um with your players uh just just need that like you were saying, like the, the context within the, the, the setting or the game world and with your players and uh, how that interacts and what the cost is and what the, you know, just all these little factions or little factors that go in there. And, uh, yeah, and I suppose it, even once you start dealing with Nemesis, you're beyond a, a um, you're probably beyond a uh, dungeon crawl. You, right. You're you're dealing probably more every you know 
everyday stuff but who knows i mean it could it could you could probably do it within within a dungeon crawl but it would be very difficult i mean i, I would have to think that developing these things you need more of a you know even your home base isn't like you're going back to your village to be safe well no there's you know your nemesis is somehow kind of infiltrated it or somehow affecting it now so what i thought was interesting what if there's a magic gathering i forget the world now uh where they did the world of magic the gathering for dnd um is that the one that just got released recently, Jeff? Oh, no, it was like the earlier ones. I, it, was it Ravenica? No, it was be- Ravenica. Uh, no, it no, it was before that. It was before that. Okay, and I think that's the. I have I have that book. That's the only one I have. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I completely lost my chain of thought. It completely <laughs> left me. I went through all that effort. <laughs> for some reason i can't explain oh yeah yeah so what i thought would be interesting is if you created a game where that you were let's say uh, let's say there was a portal and you would go to this world and this portal like maybe it wasn't hard to open portals it could be mobile portals mm-hmm. and that maybe then you'd have groups of people that were on expeditions to um to like uh go collect the artifacts or their treasure, like Indiana Jones type characters. Sure. But then what you could do, did you ever see Twister? The tornado movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so, like years and years ago. Remember yeah. they had the quote-unquote evil uh, tornado watchers who were... <laughs> yes. Because they weren't, yeah, they weren't the doing it because they were doing it for profit and they drove around a black uh, SUV. Therefore yeah, well, that's evil. What made them evil. Yeah, they wanted money and they, they had a black <laughs> SUV. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So, I but I that. thought, you know, that would be cool is these have been presented before in um, D&D games where you could have an alternate group. But man, it'd be kind of cool if you could have a way of mechanically or figuring out a way that you, you can't kill these people, right? You actually like just can't kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and be like Indiana Jones, maybe in, with some of his movies, where you know you do have that rival dude who 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 gets the temple before you do, or mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, it, but maybe along the way you're trying to sabotage them. Maybe they're trying to sabotage you. You know, those types of things. I, I think that could be. I was going to say Indiana Jones killed a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, well, didn't the one guy? Did the one guy leave him? I can't remember. Oh, the one guy, yeah, betrayed him, and and uh, but he ended up getting killed anyhow. Yeah, so. eventually. But I mean, but, I mean, the idea is that like, didn't he get something? But end up the other guy ends up getting it instead, and it's just kind of like you know, ah, uh, you know. I think those types of things can build up a nemesis. You know, mm-hmm. they may die later on, or maybe you have to kill them later on. But it's still kind of interesting where you could have an opposing group going after the same thing, but you have no moral yes. compulsion to kill them, but you have right. everything to want to beat them or to um sabotage your efforts no i yeah absolutely well it's 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 tough to do but it's fun to do if you can do it right well they did that in the mummy movie too the the one with brandon frazier brandon frazier right trying to think which uh um who which one betrayed him well the well they they had a kind of so they they went to the site they got attacked and they're going to right. get killed, but they were by this statue, so the people retreated. So then the one guy who ran off ends up getting another group, 
and Brandon Frazier and the woman and her brother, right? They have a group, and so then those two opposing groups are going to the same tomb. They're, they're yeah. not they're not directly opposing each other, but they're trying to keep information from each other, and are both forced to work with each other until bad things happen. But right, right, until yeah, until the mummy comes up and all hell breaks loose. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, and so, but I mean, I think there's there in fiction. I'm not sure what would be a good way, but as far as you know, either monsters or NPCs or any sort of mm-hmm. thing. It'd be, I don't know how you would do that, but I think it's a delicate setup. I mean, it is. I mean, I, um, you guys are experiencing it kind of already a little bit right now, anyhow, um, in, in some ways, uh, the beginning phases of that, just your, you know, like your, um, your encounter with Alan, you know, the, the thieves guild guy. I know you guys were kind of competing for the same things and but there's really no point of you guys killing him really and there's no and, and there's no point of him doing anything to you guys there's you know you guys have this you both need something and you both are trying to figure out a way to get your fair share from the other person you know might not be a nemesis but it's like sort of like a I don't know. Frenemy? Frenemy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a way, yeah, yeah. Or complicated work relationship. Yeah, it's complicated. But, What's your relationship? Yeah. It's complicated. It's complicated, yeah. <laughs> and I and I think those make them make a lot of fun. And then and then like of course and whatever future actions you guys take definitely could maybe sway that one way or another. So Yeah, there are games like uh fate oh if you have you ran mm-hmm. any fate games i've never ran it but i've been in a few fate slash fudge games so i in a lot of ways i think it's both a genius wonderful system and one i also realized i really don't also probably really like for a number of reasons but but it does a very good job you can abstract things and you can a- mm-hmm. attack abstractions pretty easily and i think that's a good way of of doing that is and with also other games that kind of abstract things where you could even um you could even have declare actions you know we're going to do this against the thieves guild and make a role and see if that role has an effect you know to the thieves guild in general or to the reputation or whatever it may be but i'm trying to think there might be good ways of even doing that for uh, i don't know how you would mold that over to uh it doesn't work so well for like a D type game, but, but fate right. and games like uh cortex and things like that, you, you can create, you know, yeah, it sounds like it would work, you know, really well within like a storyteller kind of type of a game. Yeah. Cause you could it say, I want to do a PR campaign deal. against them, or right. you could say, I'm going to try and cut off their supply lines, or you could do whatever. And there's multiple ways of, doing that abstractly to 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 attack and also for them to attack you know maybe you know your group maybe your group is a is a character and that has aspects to it so absolutely but but it it's you know we're 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 probably going too far um we're probably hitting that time space continuum we might have even passed it a long time ago (laughs) probably yeah i think i could never remember uh yeah, that I won't say. Oh Tim, would you believe I forgot to record for the second time? I won't say that. So <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's right. Because no. we're not gonna do this again. <laughs> <laughs>
play again. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for joining me, Tim. Well, thanks for having me on, Jeff. Right. Bye. Bye.